Welcome to Sports Business Secrets. I'm your host, Kevin Tarka. This podcast is specifically designed to share secrets from experts in the sports business world to help you along your own path to success in this industry. Each episode is packed with lessons and insights that never expire. You'll hear from general managers of professional teams to CEOs of sports tech companies to agents, coaches, players, and everything in between. I invite you to join me in real time on my personal journey of representing players and coaches, traveling the world, and always finding a way to battle through obstacles in this competitive industry. Good morning, my friends. Today's episode is one that is much needed in the professional basketball community. There's a lot of people that have been waiting for this. Um, There's actually probably a lot of people that don't uh, know that they've been waiting for this. Uh, But today I'm going to break down all of the new FIBA agent regulations, the byproduct of each rule. And at the end, I'll give my prediction of how this will potentially change the entire industry. Uh, To be honest, I've been procrastinating on this one for a bit. Uh, I've had probably two or three people message me per week for the past month or two asking when this episode is going to come out because I obviously did uh, a brief one last summer when they when there was rumblings uh, but now that all these rules went into uh, went into place after January 1st uh, of this year uh, these rules are now active so uh, it was it was kind of cool that people actually just assumed that I was the go-to to break down some some FIBA agent stuff maybe because I'm uh, one of the guys that actually just talks about it a lot. Maybe I talk too much about it, but uh, it also made me realize uh, that I can't just talk about them. I have to dig deeper into them. I have to um, really break down each rule and uh, and each update. Um, and then when I started doing that, I became a bit more frustrated with the rules. And then I procrastinated a little bit more. And then I went back to to reading them and I got more frustrated. I made some calls. And so anyways, we are here. Uh, I have the regulations here in front of me. I have my notes in front of me. I'm not sure if this episode is going to be broken down into one episode. It will most likely be two, maybe even three, because I have a feeling this one's going to be a long one. So before we begin into all of the rules, I just want to uh, briefly recap the situation for those who might not be aware, or if you're a a player, a coach, um, uh, someone from a club, uh, front office, or just someone that wants to learn about these rules updates. um, You know, I just want to update the situation of what happened last summer. So uh, last August, FIBA, the governing body for for all basketball, sent an email um, on August 9th, to be exact, to all licensed FIBA agents, which would be myself. I'm not going to read the entire thing, but, but the gist of that email was announcing that they have officially approved, and when I say they, I mean FIBA, They have officially approved a number of policies and rules that have already been discussed. And those said rules will automatically go into effect at the start of the new year. Remember, this was an email um, sent to all FIBA agents telling us about these these upcoming rules. And some of the wording in that email included, uh, in quotes, the central board recently approved substantial amendments, end quote. Uh, And then in another quote verbatim, these amendments might have an important impact on agents, end quote, right? So, so sentences like that, you would, you would imagine um, there was long discussions about a roundtable, um, asking all different stakeholders from players to agents to clubs to everyone in between to be involved in some of these conversations because it affects everyone, uh, but obviously most importantly, the agents, um, but, but there wasn't, right? So, so you can, you can, 
understand already the frustration you probably hear in my voice, uh, which is, you know, a, a byproduct of, in, in my eyes, let's just call a spade a spade here, uh, an unprofessional email from 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 FIBA, you know, basically just saying, hey, this is what's happening. You're going to like it or, or, or you're not, but we really don't care, right? Seeing that no one had any idea these rules were coming or what they were, uh, never heard changes were in store. And so my, my actually my first reaction was, man, they, they must have, uh, you know, they must have hired a, a, a brand new artificial intelligence robot that types these emails because I've never heard back from anyone. I've never gotten an email in response from uh, questions that I've asked um, maybe once every 14, 14 months. Um, you know, I, I just, they don't communicate. Right. So, so, oh, okay. So that's where the 660,000 euros go each summer that agents pay. It must've been to, uh, to, to buy a robot to type some emails. Um, okay. All right. I'm, I'm going to take it easy. We're only a few minutes in. I know, uh, I'm known to make a few facetious remarks when I speak about FIBA, um, so I'll try and hold those back and uh, and just kind of give you the facts. And then, obviously, as I'll mention um, here shortly, the, you know the the reaction is going to be from my perspective. Um, so it's very it's very subjective. Um, but uh, but anyway, so I'm going to break this uh, th these rules down into four major changes that I'm really going to dive into because I think those are the four most important. There was a there's a handful of uh, of other updates, but um, they're not really updates because they're kind of already happening, um, and, and and I don't think it's going to have a huge impact. And hopefully, a few of those will help, but not many. But the, the four major rules I'm going to dive into here. So let's start off with rule change number one. A player or agent can terminate the agent contract at any time with a 30-day notice. Where is this in the rule book? In case you're following along, this is in book three, chapter nine, clause 320. I'll repeat it one more time. A player or agent can terminate the agent contract at any time with a 30-day notice. Now, this is a major red flag for me. I've said it over and over and over again. The NBA is not like overseas and FIBA continues to, to want to be like the NBA, despite them denying it over and over again, whether they're trying to be like the NBA or not, either way, it's apples to oranges and this just doesn't make sense, right? In the NBA, for those who might not be aware, every SPAC, which is, um, which is a standard player agent contract, includes a provision that allows either party to terminate the agreement upon 15 days written notice to the other party. Right. And so, I mean, it's pretty clear that that's what they're drawing inspiration from. I don't understand any other reason that they would do that. So um, it's just it's, it's, it's frustrating because agents try to voice the opinion that the NBA is very different. Uh, uh, it's a different model than than overseas. I mean, you're dealing with one country. OK, yes, you're dealing with two for those who want to correct me or dealing with going over the border to Canada to Toronto. But you're dealing with, you know, all, all the same rules. Right. And so. Overseas, it's just many different countries and many different rules. And it's just, it's very different. So, I mean, that that response right there could be applied to all these rule changes in, in general. Um, but if you read that clause, clause 320, it talks about the, the maximum period of a contract. And, and by the way, this again, it, these are the new rules. So clause 320 reads, the agent contract shall not exceed a period of two years. Then the ensuing sentence says, but anybody can get out of it if they choose to terminate it within 30 days. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pause for a second, let you kind of comprehend that. It, did anybody else's brain explode just from the actual rule? Um, I mean, mine did. First time I read it, there are no two-year contracts anymore. Why is that in there? 
right? There are now 30 day contracts. So I just, I, I don't understand why they still have that in there, right? There's no such thing as a two year contract because neither party, and, and hey, I'm not just talking about agents here, right? So neither party um, is, is, is kind of protected. But obviously the main argument here is that this hurts agents tremendously. Um, but, you know, so, so I guess what I want to talk about is what does that mean for agents? So I mentioned this in, in, uh, in a few previous interviews that I did that you can even go back to, because a lot of this, a lot of the content in here is going to be similar. Um, I'm like, personally, I'm not, I'm not too worried about my contracts because I've, I've, I've learned the hard way and, um, you know, early on and, and I have language. Um, I've had language the past several years that holds each client contractually liable to pay me my agent fee, even if the contract is terminated, if for whatever reason, there's, uh, call it what you want. I'm not going to say exactly how I word it in my contracts, but call it what you want, like foul play or, or sketchiness or um, some sort of poaching going on. Like I'm, I'm covered, but not all, um, not all agents do that, right? But what this rule is doing, going from two years to, uh, to allowing players to get out of it within 30 days is it's making it transactional. It's making it very transactional and it's opening the door for even more foul, foul play that happens now. And it's taking away any sort of safety net that agents had in terms of being covered by the rules. Now, not that it really mattered in the past, because if you're anyone that's somewhat involved with the industry or around it, you know that, you know, it's, it never really covers agents very rarely because, um, you know, there are many agents that steal players and many agents that, you know, engage in foul play. And sometimes, not always, um, sometimes it's, it's um, you know, it's like a valid situation, but most of the times, you know, the agents are the ones that are hurt, um, you know? And so uh, some people are going to say, hey, well, what about the bad agents? What about the agents who don't answer their phone for a month? What about the agents who don't get their clients a job? You know, why should players be locked in? Well, this is this is very simple for me in my mind, and and, and somebody you know I'm I'm excited to hear some feedback on this, but uh, this obviously might be biased from the agent side. But what about those players? I mean, it sounds like a it sounds like a player problem. It sounds like a sounds like a you problem. Like that's that's called being a professional and doing your research, right? Lots of players think it's greener on the other side, or not even on the other side. On the first agent they select with, um, uh, the first agent they sign with, sometimes they just do it without doing due diligence. And I try to tell whoever I talk to ever, whether I'm recruiting them or not, you have to do your due diligence, right? Just because someone has a contract for you or, or, or says they says they do or says this or says that, don't forget to do your due diligence on that league where you're potentially going to play, figure out if you will ever get that money and what the reputation of that league is. Don't forget to do your due diligence on the agent. The most important part, understand if they're a good person or not, understand if you if you get a good feeling about them, understand if they have uh, former, former cases former arbitration cases from, from players that, uh, you know, sketchy things happened and figure out if they have any sort of good or bad reputation. Um, and then, and then realize, even if you do get that said contract, you might be on the hook for an agent fee for someone else or an agent fee to your old agent. Or, you know, meanwhile, the first, I mean, the, the, the other agent gets paid under the table for delivering you to the team. And then they don't care about your career. And, you know, we've heard all the stories. I'm not saying this happens any, every single time. Um, but what I'm saying is that's on you. Right? Don't sign a contract if you aren't willing to pay the consequences of not abiding by that very same contract you signed. Right? Um, if I'm a player and I put myself in player's shoes and someone says, hey, here's an opportunity, um, you know, here's a contract, and they're like, no, you're not signing it unless you sign with me for two years, and I have any sort of red flag about the person, 
why would I ever sign that contract if I don't think, you know, like I just, it doesn't really make sense to me, but, but I guess, um, you know, that's why there's, there's, there's differing opinions. Um, so, so the example that I, I gave uh, uh, in the episode last summer was, um, was let's say I sign a two-year contract with a player just to kind of give you uh, um, a play-by-play here of, of putting yourself in my shoes. Let's say, I sign a two-year contract with a player or any agent does and the agent works their ass off and let's say they negotiate them a contract in a country for a $30,000 salary. But the reason they chose that is because the agent knows that if they perform well based on their knowledge and experience in that market, then that player could potentially earn themselves a $50,000 or $60,000 contract in year two, right? Or on a larger scale, Let's say it's not a first-year guy, or it's or it's a, you know any sort of client, and, and we're talking like higher salaries. Let's say a couple of different offers come in, um, and I recommend or an agent recommends a player to take a um, a job for a smaller contract um, over a larger contract, right? But the reasoning for that, which is hopefully explained by the agent in this case, we're going to go with that that they could make. Uh, 100,000 or 150,000 the following year if they go to this place right now for 60,000 instead of taking the um, you know taking the $90,000 contract now just because they think they're going to get paid right you have to think long term and so the point of me telling you this and walking you through that process is um, you know like what 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 happens if that player gets cut like what are they going to do then right or or even if they do well in that in that larger one on the in that larger contract on year one, they can get maybe maybe the same thing in the following year because that's not a place you can really take a step from and move move out from. So um, you know, again, the, the point of me walking you through this is 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 then let's let's just let's jump to that first year. Let's say they listen and this player says, "I believe in you long term. I think I'm gonna you know I'm willing to invest in myself and play for a lower salary, but I trust you because I'm gonna get somewhere." And then they play one month. And now under the new rules, within 30 days, they decide to fire me. So me as an agent who, who, who has their best interest at heart, right? I'm, I sacrificed with them, right? I literally am getting paid less money on this deal. And now I'm penalized for that because I had their, their best interest at heart for the long term, right? The only thing that was helping me a little bit, the agents a little bit, was the fact that I... I was owed commission for the following season simply because they were signed with me for two seasons, right? The only protection for me in that case was those old rules. Now there's, and again, it wasn't always even protection. It was like, it was in the rules, but didn't always, didn't always help when players were stolen from you. Right. But, but now there's zero risk for the player. It's all for the agent, right? I'm all for players to have the opportunity to switch agents um, and have those choices. No question that should be allowed, but, not at the cost of my value, not at the cost of them being, uh, of them not being held accountable, right? Like if they want, in that same example, just to finish this little rant, in that same example, if they wanted to fire me 30 days in, that's great. But wherever they signed the next year, that should still commission, that should still come to me because of the position I put them in to open the door for them to the future. And so that's really what we're talking about here is, is, is it's, it's not, it's making it transactional and there's no ROI involved in this process. And so that's just going to open up the door for a lot of chaos, in my opinion. So that was rule one. Rule change number two, representation of a player by more than one FIBA licensed agent is no longer a disciplinary offense. 
And the comment on this was that the rules are adapted to the longstanding practice of FIBA licensed agents collaborating and often splitting the fee for the transfer of a player. Um, and, and the comment continues and says, this rule also opens the way to players and agents to engage in non-exclusive arrangements. So the last episode I talked about this, this rule, I, I didn't really dive into it, right? Because it was before the rules went into effect. I didn't have too much of a problem with this. Personally, my strategy is going directly to the team so I don't split fees. Um, and so I, you know, that way I have more trustworthy information. I can control the situation a little bit better. I obviously, it's more, it's more lucrative. It doubles the revenue. Um, I have used a partner in the past and, and they've gotten 50% for the commission, rightfully so, right? So I figured really nothing of this, um, but then I dug into it a little bit more and, and I started to get, uh, I don't know what the right word is, appalled, right? So the rules now says, uh, they say that players can have non-exclusive arrangements um, as many as they want, which, which is again, it's okay to give them the option, I guess, I'm not really for it. Um, but in, in, unless that was my strategy, like all my contracts are exclusive. Um, it's okay that they have the option to do this, but again, the, the, the risk is all on the agents here. So um, if, if I sign a player and I have an exclusive contract with them, that player is represented by me. It's a team. We're, I mean, we should be on the same team here. We're, 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 we have a conversation, we have goals, we're going for the same thing. So if, if I use a partner on that deal, that is fine. But if somebody that I don't talk with, some random person gets them a contract, I don't care if it's an amazing, the best agent and the best guy in the world or some sketch guy that emails them on or DMs them on social media, right? If some random person says, hey, I'm gonna give you this contract uh, and the player signs it, then the commission under the old rules would still come to me. Uh, obviously they, they could be legally liable because they were exclusively represented by me. But now in the new rules, a player can sign as many of these non-exclusive contracts as they want, and they don't have to disclose any of them. And the caveat here is even if I have an exclusive wording in my contract, the player is protected because I'm not going to be able to use that as my defense in arbitration. And I got that confirmed from FIBA. I actually got that confirmed from FIBA, which is, which is, which is appalling. Right. So, so, so what does that create? Right. It creates, it creates more chaos. Like how, how is this going to be regulated? If players don't need to identify which markets each non-exclusive agent covers or, um, you know, other agents that they're signed with, if it's okay for a player to sign with seven agents, all non-exclusive and just whoever brings that player, the deal first wins, that's not necessarily the path that's going to create organizational, um, structure or, or, or transparency in, um, in my opinion. So that's rule change too. All right, guys, obviously those are the two first major changes. I'm going to cut this episode here and save the rest of them for tomorrow's episode. Um, so stay tuned for that. I'm also going to be working on putting all of these into uh, a document and maybe putting them into a blog post so you can see them in writing format. Uh, but for the time being, stay tuned, check back in tomorrow morning, and, uh, and we'll go over the rest of these rule changes and then kind of how I think it's going to affect the industry overall. Have a great day, and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning.